Children, you are dismissed to teach me to worship. And I think Buddy the Elf said it the best, but the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Christmas cheer, this is what sells Christmas, a promise of happiness, a promise of that fun parties, whether it be ugly sweater or secret Santa where you show off your best eggnog or your charcuterie boards or even your butter charcuterie boards. Whether it's filled with Starbucks holiday cups and Christmas parades or elves on a shelf or stockings or Christmas trees, whether you believe in fake ones or real ones, Christmas movies, ornaments, and even presents. Christmas is a time where we fill our lives and we fill everything that we do with cheer and joy. Because as Andy Williams puts it, it's the most wonderful time of the year with kids jingling and everyone telling of good cheer. Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. And we know that that's true because Really, now, as soon as Halloween's over, every retail store is playing Christmas music. But when we come to Advent, we do the same thing. We change the music that we sing. We change the opening hymns, the offertory hymns, to center upon the message of Christmas. And our, and our songs and our singing speak loudly of the desires of our hearts. Because at Christmas, carols and songs, we try to fill all of our emptiness of what the world has to offer. We try to fill all of our experience and we try to stuff it. And we try to make it joyful regardless of our situations. And here we have Zacharias' experience, who feels empty because God has not fulfilled the longings of his heart. Because Zacharias' song, much like Mary's song, will point us to something that is outside of himself because he could not find true happiness just from within. And Zechariah's song, much like Mary's song, as we saw last week, actually looks backwards so that he might have joy and cheer and hope that looks forward. And I hope as what we see in Zechariah's experience of the true joy of Christmas is that God came. And that God visited him. And that God redeemed him through the fulfillment of his promises. But what I want us to see is what actually overhauled Zechariah's life. What revived him. What opened his eyes to this promise of God. It was God's mercy. 
It was the tender and unmerited mercy of God to coming to Zechariah in the most unlikely place that you might think God would have to visit someone who is empty and unfulfilled. What I want us to see this morning is that God visited him. In the same way that God visited him, he visits us and visits us. Not just in the birth of a baby, but in the birth of the God-man. Because if we try to leave it to ourselves to try to redeem ourselves, to try to satisfy that craving and that hunger, to try to fill that joy completely. If it's anything than Jesus, we will never be satisfied. But here's the good news. God did step in. God did meet him. And God did change him. And this week I want us to focus on two things. The first is that is the mundane manifestation of God. And the second is the miraculous manifestation of God. The mundane and the miraculous and how God answers our deepest needs. Before we go to him, let's pray to him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you bless us this morning. Lord, open up our ears. Open our eyes. Unbind our tongue so that we may proclaim the excellencies of Christ and him crucified for us. Lord, we pray for your mercy. We pray for those who are sick, for those who are hurting in our congregation, those who have desires of their hearts that have not been fulfilled. Lord, we ask for you to answer your prayers according to your promises. We pray for those who have had deaths in the family. Bind them together in love and remind them of the hope that we have in the gospel. Father, we pray for a new youth director for our youth group. Lord, bring someone who loves Jesus and will point our youth to Jesus. Father, we pray as you have put us in this community that we would be a blessing. That even through the the small things like this angel tree, that we might be a blessing to the community that you have placed us to love and to cherish. Father, protect our church, protect our community from the evil one. May you set Fayette, Fayette County apart. May you bless her churches to proclaim the gospel that you entered into the messiness and the darkness of our lives and you have brought peace. Father, we pray for our country. 
and for our president and our leaders. Father, we pray for Alan and Ann Cochet. as they spread the good news of the gospel and plant your church in France. Lord, bless them and keep them. Lord, may you rain down your peace and shalom upon our world so that every knee shall bow. And Father, we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. How many of you drive without thinking? Good response. In other words, how many of you can drive where you're completely zoned out and all of a sudden you realize, how in the heck did I get here? It's like you lost consciousness, almost as if you were falling asleep, but you were awake while you're driving your car. And as scary as that might sound, it's actually known as highway hypnosis. It occurs because you're doing something so routinely that you don't need to notice the little things that aren't important. Your brain has taught yourself how to blind everything out. Now, I've experienced this many times, and my boys have experienced this with, with me, because every, almost every time we have something that we have to drive east for, if I'm not thinking about where I'm going, I turn right on Teague's store without, just out of habit. And so many times my boys have asked, Dad, where are you going? <laughs> I was going to work. I don't, I don't know where I'm going, actually. I would completely zoned out. And I was just going through the motions. And this is where we kind of find Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. Not only was Zechariah a priest, but his wife was also a priest, which was great if you're in the family of priests. And Zechariah... Zechariah had this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He was selected by the casting of lots to go into the holy place to offer a sacrifice of incense. And Zechariah goes into this place, and it's almost as if Zechariah is just going through the motions. But what we hear about Zechariah, and what Luke tells us in the very first, in verse um, chapter 6, is that they, being both Zechariah and Elizabeth, were both righteous before God. And for us, post-Reformation, we automatically assume that no one is righteous, no, not one. We think in Paul's categories of imputed righteousness, that we need something, we need Christ's righteousness imputed to us to stand before God as righteous. And so when we read Paul, or that Zechariah is righteous, we automatically might assume he's perfectly righteous. He doesn't do anything wrong. And then we scratch our heads and ask, how is that possible? But in Old Testament understanding of this, someone who is righteous simply means that someone is following God's covenant faithfully. 
Someone identifies themselves as a person living under the covenant of God and follows his commandments. Because this is what the, the verse 6 ends. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They tried to be faithful. They tried to do all the right things. Zechariah even tried to serve the Lord as a priest in his temple to do what he had been called to do. And then this angel named Gabriel appeared to him. And Gabriel called him out. He said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and you and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn away many, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the Lord's people the, for the Lord's people prepared. And as a priest, I don't know if any of you heard this, but as a priest, what he should hear, this is the promise, the last promise that God's people received in the Old Testament. This is a summary of what the prophet Malachi said in the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament. This is what Malachi says in chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Hebron for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. As we saw last week, there had been over 500 years of silence. The faithfulness of Israel was at a low. And here we have an angel appearing to the priest in the holy place, and it completely reveals to us Zechariah's true heart. For what he says is, how can this be? How is this going to happen? And this should remind us of the Old Testament story of Abraham and Sarah. For an angel of the Lord came to them in their old age and said, you will bear a son. And what did Abraham and Sarah do? They laughed. How could that be, God? We're too old. We're getting ready to enter our retirement home. We can't enter into the maternity ward. And this is how the Lord responds to their laughter. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And this is the same type of reaction we see from Zechariah. Because his heart is exposed to what he truly believes. He believes that God cannot do what God has promised. The angel came to Zechariah when he's doing his ordinary job, just living life as he's driving through mindlessly. And the angel of the Lord comes to Zechariah 
and he still doesn't believe the word of the Lord. And this is how we know. It's in the angel's response. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until that day that the things pass, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled. So this silence and unable to speak, we, a- we actually think from the report of the birth that not only was Zechariah not able to speak, but he was actually unable to hear also. Because he did not believe in this angel, this messenger of the Lord, God placed him in complete silence. Unable to hear, unable to speak. God curses him. Even though he's going through the motions, he's doing what he's supposed to do, God curses him because he exposes the beliefs of his heart. He doesn't believe that God can actually do what he promised. God says, I will fulfill my promises, and yet you still do not believe And we have to ask ourselves, are we just going through these same motions? Are we coming to church? Are we coming to the Lord's Supper? Are we sending our children to catechism club or to youth group? Just thinking and praying, oh, it's all going to work out. Just in a hypnosis of life. Without ever considering what we're actually called to believe. And yet this is where the reality of God's grace, where his revelation of himself, of his entering into our mundane lives, this is where he blesses us. Because it was during the silence of Zechariah that he was forced to sit there, forced to slow down and watch God's promises Come to fulfillment. For the next nine months, he sits there and he watches God's promise of this child grow in Elizabeth's belly. And if you remember from last week, her last trimester, who shows up? Mary. So Zechariah has in his house for three months these two women who are bearing a child of God's promise. He forced Zechariah to slow down with his business of his hypnotic life to watch God's promises come true for him. And we must ask ourselves, are we so filling our lives with the busyness, even the good things of Christmas, to miss and see God's promises being fulfilled in our own lives. How often do we celebrate the answer to our prayers? We pray. We know that God works and that God moves and he listens to us. 
But when those prayers are fulfilled, how long do we actually stop and rejoice that God has fulfilled his promises for us? And this is where God reveals his faithfulness to Zechariah. Not only does he see these children grow, but in verse 57 we see that God fulfills the promises that he gave earlier. The angel promised that many will rejoice in verse 14. And in verse 58 we see that fulfillment. We hear in verse 15 that John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. In verse 41, we hear that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and that the baby jumped in her womb. We hear in verse 13 that the boy should be named John. In verses 59 through 63, we see that promise fulfilled in his lifetime. In the mundane of our lives... God manifests himself and fulfills his promises to his people. And I'm so afraid that we are so busy, whether it's with our schedules or if we actually, ha- actually have time to sit down and reflect, we pull out our phones and we just gaze endlessly rather than reflecting on the goodness and grace of God's mercy that he has for us in Jesus. Because just like Zechariah, God comes to us in our mundane lives. And he calls us out of that life to see how he is good, to remember his covenant promises. And he calls us to faithfulness. This is the mundane manifestation of God. And I also want us to see the miraculous manifestation of God. Look at where John is when God fulfills his promises. When God loosens his tongue and lifts the curse. It's when they take John to be circumcised. And when, John, and when Zechariah proclaims the truth of the word of the Lord, and he fulfills it by naming his son John. It wasn't at his birth, it was at his circumcision, where John received the covenant sign and seal of God's grace upon his people. Once Zechariah walked by faith, gave his child the sign of the covenant, proclaimed the truth that this son should be named John as the angel proclaimed, it is then that God released his curse and loosened his tongue. It's as if God said, this is what's going to happen and you'll sit and watch in silence. And once you follow me by faith, you will receive blessing." And Zechariah responded to these covenant promises of God in the only way we should know how. He sings. He goes from mute to exclaiming the greatness of the covenant promises that he has realized. 
because he has seen the Lord at work. In our ESV, it says that Zechariah prophesies. But if we think of what prophecy actually is, it's not always just a looking forward. It's not always just a foretelling. But most of the time in the Old Testament, it's actually a calling to look back at the fulfillment of God's promises, to remind the people of the great things that God has done for them, and to remind them, if you believe, if you have faith in this covenant promise, God will promise you life. And this is exactly what Zechariah does. For in his prosaic stanzas, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, the Benedictus. Blessed be the Lord, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we be be being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in the holiness and righteousness before him all our days. He's looking back. All of this is looking back at the fulfillment of God's promises through the Exodus and even farther back to the promises of Abraham. This horn of salvation is the same phrase that David sang when he's saying of his great deliverance in 2 Samuel chapter 22, which we said in Psalm 18 this morning in our call to worship, that this promised one, this Messiah, would raise up David's greater son, David's greater Lord, and he would save his people from his enemies. This is what the prophets promised. And what does Zechariah see? How does Zechariah tie this to his contextual situation? Well, he sees that God is fulfilling that. But, but look at these verses. In those first verses, they're not about his son. They're about Mary's son. God fulfilled his promises not by fulfilling the desires of his heart, but by fulfilling his promises of the coming Messiah that would redeem his people. For the first time, maybe in his lifetime, Zechariah actually understands the mercy of God. That he needs someone outside of himself to save him from his enemies because if it's left to him, he should have no hope, no joy, no Christmas cheer for all to hear. It's not through his own son. Jesus is the theme of his song. It's in Jesus that once Zacharias saw and understood this mercy of God, that God changed his heart. He changed him from the mundane realities of our lives to this miraculous event where God visits his people to bring them redemption. Zechariah desired a son. And he and his wife lived in this tension. For in the Old Testament, 
to be barren was almost as a curse. Because not only were children what Eve was called to do, she was called Eve because she was the mother of the living. But children were also the retirement plan. They were to grow up and to care for their parents. Children, listen to this. Children were the retirement plan. But socially, they were looked at as, what did they do that God is not blessing them? And this is where God steps in to their tender, with his tender mercy. Because he didn't give them what their hearts desired for their own sake. He gave them what they needed, which was Jesus. Zechariah changed when what he thought would fill him a child was filled with Jesus. And if you're waiting for something to fix you or to fill you or to give you true joy and happiness outside of Jesus, I'm here to say as a minister of the word, you will never find it. You might say, well, if only I got this then I'll be happy. If I get married, if I find a really good friend, even if I have a child, then I will be happy. But the reason for Zechariah's breakout in song is because God entered into the wreckage of his life that as he was going through the motions, and for the first time he realized what he needed to change his life and it was Jesus. Because it was Jesus who was going to the cross. It was Jesus that was going to be mighty to save his people. And it was Jesus who was going to show his tender mercy and his love to the brokenhearted. To give light to those who sit into the darkness and to walk with them through the shadow of death. Zechariah knew theologically, cognitively, all the promises of God. But it wasn't until God revealed his brokenness was he able to grasp the great value and mercy of Jesus. God answered their prayers now, we aren't sure if this is the prayer that Zechariah offered in the holy place as he offered the incense, or if this was just a personal prayer of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And what I want to ask you is, are you looking for God's promises to find true joy? Because it won't come in any other way than Jesus. I know that some of you have a prayer just like Zacharias and Elizabeth's, that you were praying for a child. And I don't want you to hear that you have received a curse from God. This isn't a sign of your unfaithfulness. We pray as a church that the Lord might give you the desires of your heart. 
But we also pray that you don't put all of your hope and your joy in the desires of your heart, but you put your hope and your joy in Jesus. He is the only one that can bring true joy. He is the cheer of Christmas. Let's pray.